Welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ, where we love to encourage you to build intimacy with Christ. We'll bring you insights and teachings to help you grow in your walk with Jesus, ultimately becoming the strong, godly woman you were created to be. Here's Ashley Pope Todorova. Welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ, session two of Revelation Bible Study. If you are tuning in on our podcast, we're so grateful to have you. Uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and share um, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can find us there. So we're so grateful to have you. So tonight, as we dive in, I want to just do a little recap for you gals. Last week, as I, as I taught, the overarching message, the overarching picture and question for you gals is, are you ready? Are you ready to share the hope that you have when somebody asks you about your relationship with Jesus? Are you ready when somebody says, I'm going through a difficult time, I'm going through a challenge, tell me about this hope that you have, tell me about Jesus, I want to know how you sustain these trials that you sustain, because people are always watching. Are you ready? But more importantly, ladies, most importantly, are you ready if God calls you home? Because you see, we don't know. God has all of our days numbered. He knew all of our days before one came to pass, but you do not know when your last moment on this earth is. Are you ready or are you living like you have all of this time and you really don't know how much time you have? So last week, that was really our focus. And as we dive into Revelation, which is a deep study, it is. That is something that I want you to just keep at the forefront of your mind the entire time is, am I ready? Am I really giving Jesus the best of me and not the rest of me? I always tell gals, give him the best of you and not the rest of you. You see, ladies, we give so much time and effort and energy expenditure to things that are seemingly good. But oftentimes, and this is the tug on my heart in ministry, oftentimes they're the very things that buy for our time spent in the best things and in the best way. And that is developing our relationship with Jesus Christ. So that was where we were last week. I want to preface this tonight for some of you gals, because I know that we're all over the place in terms of, of study time and where you are in the book. I just want you to make it a priority to show up on Monday night. Do your due diligence in the book, do your homework, do it at your own pace. Don't feel like you have to cram to keep up. It is important that you don't go through this study just to check a box, but you go through it to learn and you go through it to allow the Lord to change your heart. If you are behind, don't stress it, just show up here and do your book study as you can. So last week, we talked about how Revelation, the structure of the book of Revelation is really three big chunks. The first chunk is when John was told to write his vision in chapter one, okay? The second is the actual uh, letters to the seven churches that John wrote, okay, from his vision, writing the seven letters to the seven churches. That second 
chunk of Revelation is chapters two and three. And then the third and final chunk is the bulk of the book, chapters four through 22, that covers literally everything that would take place after this, after the vision, right, that John was given. So it's really not as daunting as it looks or sounds when you break it down and you just take it bite by bite, piece by piece. So what we're gonna do, ladies, tonight, if you do have your book, if not, don't stress it. You can order it. Just take notes, listen, follow along, and open the word of God. At Ladies Who Love Christ, I don't want to spoon feed you anything. I want you to go to the word of God and open it yourself and read the scriptures, okay? But if you are working from the book, I want you to turn to page 16. And I want to read this definition to you. John did a great, John MacArthur did a great job of breaking down the definition of the church, okay? It says God's people, the universal body of believers, this is what the church is, God's people, the university, uh, universal body of believers, as well as the local group of believers. The church is the body of Christ, and this metaphor depicts the church not as an organization, but as a living organism composed of mutually related and independent parts. Christ is the head of the body and the Holy Spirit is its lifeblood, as it were. The body functions through faithful use, listen close, through faithful use of its members, various spiritual gifts, sovereignly, that means in all authority by God, he is sovereign, he's an authority overall, not one thing in your life is outside of his sovereign control, sovereignly and uniquely bestowed by the Holy Spirit on each believer. Because Christians are part of the body of Christ, uh, we've been spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit and are edified through other believers. We should not continue, listen close, we should not continue to live like the ungodly. We should not be the people that show up to the house of the Lord before a holy and a righteous God and, and wave our hands and praise on Sunday and live like a heathen Monday through Saturday. Every time I share something that maybe is, is, is um, uh, it's, it's a nudge for my fellow believers, it's a nudge for my friends to, to look at their lives and to refine their lives and to refine how they're living. For instance, certain things that are coming up this month, do we stand in agreement with these things, right? Do we confuse our children with these things or do we stand with Jesus? And if it's convicting, listen, that is not for me and it's an opportunity for, me to, for you to turn, right? But every time I share those things, every single time I get immense backlash. I get tons of backlash. I get more backlash than you guys will ever know. I get messages. I get texts. I get people unfriending me, blocking me constantly, constantly. You've got to get used to it. We are not called to live like the world. We are called to be in the world, right? But not of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to be the salt and we are to be the light as it talks about in Matthew. So there's a few things that I want to unpack from this um, keys to the text passage here about the church. The first thing is, you see, Christ is the head of the body and the Holy Spirit is its lifeblood. Ladies, you have got to know the doctrine and the theology that you believed. We impact theology last week. You have got to know the doctrine and the theology that you believe. It's why I tell you constantly to go to God's word, question everything that is spoken into your life, right? Because if you take something that someone speaks into your life as truth, and you don't know God's word, 
there's a lot of false doctrine out there. I'm reading and watching and learning constantly. And I see so much false doctrine. And ladies, the scary thing is that so much of this false doctrine, much why John got this vision to write to the seven churches, is happening from within the walls of churches themselves. That is why you must know truth. You must know sound doctrine, which is sound teaching. Okay? So I wanted to make sure to cover that. With the Holy Spirit, you're going to see a lot of people that, that downplay, right, the Holy Spirit. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in, you know, God and the universe and the, this and that. And, but they, when, you, when you say Jesus, ladies, please listen. You'll hear a pin drop when you're in a place and you speak the name of Jesus. Because everyone can say they believe in God. Everybody can say, I believe in God, Right. But when you speak the name of Jesus, right, you will see a difference. You will hear a pen drop, literally, and you will lose people. Everyone's okay talking about God until you try to define him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You, three in one, the triune God. You don't take one from the other. One is, is not, it is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A lot of false doctrine out there trying to downplay those things. So last week, we're going to go ahead and turn now. We're going to flip forward just a little bit. We're going to turn to page 25 in your book. Actually, we're not flipping forward. That's where we're starting, chapter 3. Last week, we covered, or you were supposed to go through on your own, if you did the homework, if not, don't stress it, go back and do it. Uh, we covered John's letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira, okay? So now he wrote to the first four churches last week, you were supposed to do that on your own. Tonight, we're going to do chapter three, and we're going to unpack the next three churches that John approached. So give me just a second, and let me see where I'm supposed to read. Okay. I'm going to start reading under the context section. This passage continues the series of Jesus's message to the churches of Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I hope I'm saying that correctly. The church at Sardis was an existing church in John's day, but spiritually this church had no life. It stands as a symbol of all dead churches. Okay, that was the first church. It had no life. Sardis, and it stood as a symbol of dead churches. The second church that John approached and wrote to, he's writing to different types of churches about their spiritual health, okay? Essentially, that's what he's doing. The second was the church at Philadelphia. They were an imperfect church. I don't know one perfect church because we're all imperfect people. They were an imperfect church, um, but the Lord commended the members on their faithfulness and their loyalty to him. So despite their imperfections, despite their shortcomings, the Lord still commended them on their faithfulness and on their loyalty. In spite of their fleshly struggles, the Christians at Philadelphia were faithful and obedient, serving and worshiping the Lord. The church at Philadelphia provides a good model of a church, right? It provides a good model of a loyal church. The third and final church that John wrote to you, in chapter three this week was Laodicea or Laodicea. 
and it represents all of the apostate churches that have ex existed throughout history. Laodicea has the grim distinction of being the only one of the seven for whom Christ has no positive word of commendation. Due to the drastic nature of the situation at Laodicea, this is also the most threatening, the most threatening of the seven letters. So really what's happening here is you have different types of churches and John is approaching them about their spiritual state and where they stand. I would venture to say, and I know this is pretty like putting it out there, but here in 2022, when you think about the spiritual state of churches, when you think about the shakiness that's happening right now, when you think about the unwillingness to speak to the heart of very biblical issues from the pulpit, when you think about that, I think about Laodicea and Sardis, because we have to. We have to be bold. Yes, we have to speak the truth in love. The first thing people are gonna tell you when you share biblical truths is that you are a hater or you have hate in your heart. You have to speak the truth in love, but please ladies, listen up and listen close. You must speak the truth because you answer to one. And again, let's go back to last week. Are you ready? Are you ready to answer if you take your last breath? So I wanted to read something to you gals from a book that I have. Give me a minute. You're not going to have this book in front of you, but I want to read this to you and be patient with me because in my study time, I thought it was very, very, very good. The, and this is about the church and Sardis, the, the first church that we're talking about tonight. Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. This is about Sardis. The vast distances of interstellar space are unimaginably immense. The nearest stars to us are trillions of miles away. Those large distances have forced astronomers to come up with an appropriate measurement unit, the light year. One light year equals the distance that light, traveling at more than 186,000, oh my goodness, that's fast, miles per second, it travels in one year more than six trillion miles. That's a light year. The enormous distance to even the nearest stars presents an interesting possibility. If a star 30 light years away from the earth exploded and died five years ago, we would not be able to tell by looking at it for another 25 years. We're so far from the stars that one could have died and fizzled out five years ago and we would not have even known for 25 more years from that point. Though no longer in existence, the light from the star would go on shining as if nothing had changed. That illustration perfectly sums up the situation in many churches. They still shine with the reflected light of a brilliant past. Looking at them from a distance, one might think that nothing has changed. Yet the spiritual darkness of false teaching and sinful living has extinguished the light on the inside, though some of their reputation may still remain. I'm going to post this for y'all. Such a church was the church at Sardis. It was reputed to be alive, but the Lord Jesus Christ pronounced it to be dead. The downward spiral depicted by these churches, beginning with the Ephesian churches, loss of its first leopard, Jesus Christ, and continuing with Pergamum's loss, uh, Pergamum's worldliness, and Thyatira's toleration of sin. See, these are all individual issues within the church. 
reached a new low at Sardis. The church at Sardis could well be nicknamed the first church of Tares. It was a church, listen close. It was a church that was dominated by sin. It was dominated by unbelief. It was dominated, ladies, by false doctrine. Like the fig tree in Jesus's parable, it bore leaves, but no fruit. It was fruitless. Like the rest of the seven churches, the church at Sardis was an actual existing church, ladies, in John's day. This was an existing church. Yet it also symbolizes the dead churches that have existed throughout history and sadly continue to exist into our days today. The appearance of light is only an illusion. When I read that, that really did. It took my breath away and it's making me think about so many things and ministry and teaching and how I do things and all kinds of things, ladies. It's so important for you to understand that church is not a place you go because they have a great children's environment. Is that a bonus? Is that awesome? Yes. It's not a place you go because their lights aren't too bright and the music's not quite that loud and it's just right for me. It tickles your fancy. That is not what church is. As I read in that definition of churches, we all have we all have spiritual gifts that were intricately woven and given to us by Christ himself. There's a responsibility to use the gifts that Jesus has given you. There's a responsibility attached to that to use the gifts that Christ has given you. There's a responsibility for us to speak the truth in love. There's a responsibility for us not to go to the places with the coolest pastor, with the coolest kicks, on the coolest stage, with the coolest band, but rather to go to a place where the word of God is being preached and taught. Because ladies, I mean, if you can't tell, it's very heavy on my heart. It's very, very heavy on my heart. The deception and the false doctrine that is so, so, so rampant today, okay? So at least for my little corner of the world and my ladies who love Christ and in this ministry, at least I have the opportunity to share these truths with you and you bring them before the Lord in prayer. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move on. Give me a minute. I need to sip a sip of tea. So now we've covered where we were last week. We covered about the three churches we're going to unpack tonight. And now we're going to talk about Jesus Christ at the very bottom of page 25. Let me make sure I'm on track. At the very bottom of page 25. Jesus Christ. Revelation makes it clear that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the beginning. And when, when, when you say he is the beginning, this quite literally does mean, go back to Genesis, the beginning, the beginner, the originator, the initiator of creation. And he was the firstborn of creation. That is the most preeminent supreme person ever born. This is Jesus. As a man, he had a beginning, but as God, he was the beginning. In the beginning was God, right? He was the beginning. Sadly, in Laodicea, the heresy that Christ was just a created being had produced an unregenerate church. 
you have a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus, but ladies, when you get to the core of it and you ask them at the very core, tell me what you think about God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, you will see people literally shudder, literally shudder. There's a lot of religions so-called religions that say they believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the triune God. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit, right? So it's really important for you to know why you believe what you believe and to know what you believe and to be able to biblically back it up on your own. So it's important. What are we believing, ladies, in our individual hearts and homes? What are we believing about Jesus? What are we teaching about Jesus? What are we teaching others through our life about Jesus? What are we teaching our children about Jesus? It's an important question to really ponder and to really think about. Are we believing lies? That's why it's so important to filter, ladies. Are you believing lies about Jesus? Are you believing this celebrity, um, this celebrity, sort of picture of him or are you believing him as a suffering servant who came who bridged the gap who made a way for us where there was literally no other way and he was there since the beginning what are you believing about Jesus very very important but you see I don't want to just talk about that I'm going to take you to scripture turn to Colossians 1 15 Colossians 1 Verse 15, this is all about the centrality of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Bam, right there. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is holy, holy. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. Now, I love this. I love this. I love this. I'm going to get excited and I'm going to sound a little crazy and I'm okay with it. All things were created through him and for him. Ladies, let's get to the heart of the issue right now. Number one, we were created through him. Uh, we were created for him. We were made for God. When you struggle with your purpose, I'm going off a little here. It's okay. We'll get, we'll get back on. I'm going to have you done on time tonight. But when you struggle with your purpose, when you struggle with what am I here on this earth for? What am I here to do? I can promise you it's not to run around like crazy with overpacked schedules, not prioritizing your time. We were made for God. You ladies who love Christ have the greatest calling on your life because literally we were made for him. Verse 17, he is before all things. Before anything was, he was. He was before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. This is Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him 
to reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So when you have somebody try to, 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 to water down these truths, perhaps to say, well, Jesus is just a good man. He was a good man. He did good things. He is literally, literally the visible image of the invisible God. So important for you ladies to understand these things. In Lodicia, the church, the heresy is that he was just a created being, that he was just a created being, that he was not God himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Ladies, as I conclude that little section I wanted to cover with you, it is vital, it is vital I'm going to say it again in case anyone's half asleep on the other side of the screen. It is vital that you are in a church that is doctrinally teaching, doctrinally sound. It is vital. It is vital that when issues come up that literally get to the core of what God created in the beginning. So many of these issues now, issues with, with, with um, uh, pro-life, right? Issues with pro-life versus pro-choice, issues with, with gender, issues with sex, issues with marriage. These are issues that literally attack God's created order. They attack that. But so often, so often, with our heads hung in shame, we don't speak to the core of the truth that we say we have and we know. We are like the churches that John was writing to. We, as a body of believers, when we don't have the courage to trust that God goes before us, you are not here to win people. You're not here. You're here to win people to Jesus through your life, but you are not here to win the praise of people. I can tell you that. Is your church speaking truth about these issues? Or are they trying to be like that lukewarm church that we're gonna learn about tonight? It wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, but it was right there, just walking the line, right in the middle, trying to please God and please man. Ladies, listen, I'm going off, but I want you to hear it. If you live to please God, you will never please man because you will be hated. Literally, Jesus said, I was hated. If I was hated, you're going to be. Shake the dust off, right? Shake that dust off and you keep going. And you keep preaching the truth that you know. And you keep digging into the word. And you keep standing your ground with these convictions. And you make sure that you don't allow just any Joe Schmo to speak into your life. I've spent much of my time in ministry in six short years unwiring false doctrine that was taught to people. Because they just were believing whatever someone told them. And they took it as truth. Ladies, before you take anything as truth, and that's including anything I ever teach here, you go to God's word. You go to God's word. Because you see these churches, let's talk about this too. This wasn't in my notes, but we're going to go there. 
these churches that John was talking to, these seven churches, they all had different spiritual um, depravities. They all had different spiritual issues. They all had different things that they were suffering with and that they were not doing well with. But listen to this. This is what's really, really interesting. All of these churches were in a time and a culture where they were surrounded by idol worship. They were surrounded by idol worship, worshiping other gods, worshiping wealth, worshiping statues, worshiping bronze statues, worship, idol worship. They were surrounded. They were these churches in the middle of idolatry and idol worship. Ladies, I really don't think there's much different today in 2022. I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, don't feel that there's much difference. I have noticed within the past two to three years a stark difference in toleration of Christianity. Stark. Just in the past few years, literally. I don't think that there's much different today. We go, we want all the boxes to be checked for the coolest church, the best everything. And then we go back out into the world and we live like a heathen, but we're the cool Christian because we're loving people and we're blending in and we're fitting in. Are you ready? Because if you're living like that, ladies, listen, it's okay if I lose people. If you're living like that, you're not going to be ready. I want my girls ready. I want my girls ready. You cannot walk the line. You can't. You absolutely can't. Anyway, if I didn't drill that point home, talk about it later. Offline, because I don't want to take your whole study up. Let me get back on track. You've got to know that you know that you know. The things that have to go, have to go. And let me tell you, anything you give up, Anything you give up in this world on account of Jesus, I am speaking this from having lived this, anything you give up will come back tenfold in your deepening of your relationship with him. You may not see all of these things on this earth. You may not see that reward here on this earth, but I promise you, you will be ready. He is a good God and he is worthy of our sold out praise, not our half, half praises, our whole heart, our whole sold out praise. Turn to page 29 in your book, because I'm going to do you girls a favor, and I'm going to stay on track. So now what we're going to do, we talked about some of the spiritual issues within the churches. We talked about the issues today. What are we serving? Are we serving our bank accounts? Are we serving wealth? Are we serving our portfolios? Are we serving, um, uh, are, are, I won't say serving, are we more concerned with what people think of us than what God thinks of us? Are we trying to walk the line? You need to think about those things. The first question on page 29 that I wanna talk about is, what was the gist, what was the general picture of Christ's message to the church at Sardis? 
And I gave you a few good points about that. Essentially, ladies, this church was overpopulated by unrepentant, unregenerate believers, people. I want you to turn to verses two through six, and we're going to read this together. Unregenerate and unredeemed people. Let's read the passages. I'm reading it from the actual book here. Verse two, I'm on page 26. Verse two, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Literally calls it to the heart of the problem. Verse three, remember therefore how you have received and heard. And then there's some due diligence here. Hold fast and repent. Hold fast and repent. If you use the word repentance in 2022 today, which I do quite a bit actually, if you use that word, people look at you like you're just absolutely crazy. Repent means to do an about face. It means to turn. It means to go the other way. It means not to live like the world or a heathen, but to try to do your best. And when you fail and you will, I fail every single day to have a repentant heart that feels that conviction, that turns and that lays it down at Jesus's feet, that picks yourself back up and that goes out there and that does better. It's not about being perfect. It's about, it's about the state of your heart. Therefore, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come upon you. This is why I always ask, are you ready? You're not gonna know. You have a few names, verse four. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Means there's a few people in the church of Sardis. There was a guy named Melito. He actually wrote a commentary from the book of, uh, uh, from the church of Sardis. He wrote a commentary. He was a, a devout follower of Jesus, but they were few and far between. He's saying here that their soil, their garments weren't soiled. They weren't walking in the filth of the world, right? But that's, that's few. Like scripture says, few of us, the, the way is narrow, few people, and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Verse five, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. He who overcomes, shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I don't know about you ladies. I'm thinking I, I'm thinking I can answer what you would answer here, but I know about me. I know about me. I don't want my name blotted out. I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life. I will confess his name. I would love to hear my name confessed before my father and before his angels as an overcomer. Overcomers in this context is speaking to the Christians. What we don't need right now is weak Christians who are afraid to share the hope that we have. We need Christians who know that they will be persecuted, that they will face trial. They will, but they move on and they march on in spite of, because we know that we have a hope set before us, a hope of eternity spent with Christ. Verse six, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So I'm gonna go back to page 29. What, what, what was the overarching picture here? They were unregenerate, they were unredeemed, they were not repenting, they were living in filth, living like the world, trying to fit in with the world, and then calling themselves a church. We have to hold fast and we have to repent. 
Maybe that's something for you personally, ladies, and you're sitting in your home tonight and you're like, I've been making light of my relationship with Jesus. I've been literally boxing him into a Sunday as a piece of my schedule. I'm gonna give Sunday with a little heart around it, church, Jesus, but then every other day, there's no time for him, no time given to him. We've got to change that. It's a message to those who overcome. It's a message to the few believers, the few who truly overcome. Ladies, I do think that part of the depravity today and the false doctrine and, and the confusion, a, a, a huge part of it is because of our social technology, social media. You can have anybody and everybody thousands of voices a day speak into your life. You can sit down and watch reel after reel after reel and literally throw away hours of your life with mindless garbage. I'm sorry if this sounds harsh, sorry, not sorry. You can listen to all of these people talk about Jesus, 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 but they're living like heathens and they're teaching false doctrine. You need to shut off the cell phone, shut off the iPad, shut off the TV, shut off the whatever that technology is, shut it off and open your paper Bible because it will not spit back DMs, PMs, texts, and all the other things. And you need to get before the King of Kings that if you need to repent, repent and do better and give better. The best and not the rest, the best and not the rest. Number two, according to this passage, what was true about the church at Philadelphia? So I went over that with you. Ladies, it was a church of imperfections. You're never gonna have a perfect church. You're never gonna find a perfect church. But see, the church at Philadelphia, in all of their imperfections, they were a church that was faithful and that was loyal to Jesus and not to the world. In spite of their fleshly struggles, they were obedient in serving and worshiping the Lord. There are more people concerned about preaching doctrinally, biblically sound truths from the stage because they're afraid they're gonna lose people and lose numbers than they are about preaching sound truths and living, literally living for one. So these people, they were imperfect. You're always gonna have imperfect churches. But you need to make sure that your church is preaching sound truth, sound doctrine. And as you girls grow, listen, a lot of you say to me, and I get so many PMs about this in particular. How, how do you know? How, how do you know if your church is doctrinally sound? How do you know? The first thing is, let me tell you something on the internet. Here's a little tip. Here's a little what we call hack, okay? I'm giving you a hack. Before you read any article and before you read anything, before you go on the internet and read anything, 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 you read their statement of faith. Every website has an about us section. You read their statement of faith. What do they believe? Vitally important, okay? The second thing, ladies, is to understand that, that as you develop your relationship with Jesus, as you grow in God's word, he does the work. 
He literally does the work. You just have to sit before him and study his word. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you start to recognize truth from lies because you know God's word. It's not, it's not a formula. It's not a method. It is as simple as you stilling your heart before him and literally just praying, spending time with him. Lord, reveal your truth to me. Help me to, to recognize lies. He does it, girls. He does it. I promise you, promise you, promise you. He does it. And he does it in abundant, abundant measure. Like to the point that sometimes you just see things in, in terms of what's true and what's not so clearly because you know God's word. You know God's word. God's will's revealed there. You're not going to find God's will in any other way. We talked about a lot of the idolatry worship back in the day when John was writing to these churches. Everyone wanted to know their futures. So they were going to all of these crazy methods. I see Christians all the time posting the horoscopes. Listen, if, it, if it's offensive to you, that's a good thing. Because listen, sis, if you love Jesus, you're not posting your horoscope. Okay, that stops today. And I, I say that love, y'all. Like, I really do. I really do. But these are the things that have got to go. Number three, what is the significance of the crown mentioned in chapter three, verse 11? Let's go to chapter three, verse 11. That's on page 27. It says, again, repetitive, repetitive here. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, one thing that I like to teach on scripture is when you see repetition in scripture, and you'll see it a lot, but when you see something and then you read it a few verses down and a few verses down, what I like to say is it's your call to wake up and pay attention because God knows that we're going to need repetition. Repetition. He repeats over and over. You're not going to know. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Behold, I am coming quickly. Are you ready? Right? So that no one may take your crown. This is a hopeful event that Christ will return to take his church out of the hour of trial. There's the, the, the scriptures about laying your crown at his feet, right? That's actually where a lot of people shockingly uh, are shocked when they find out it's not an actual physical crown, like a queen's crown. No, that's not what that is. It's, 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 it's laying, um, uh, how does John put it? Let me, let me find it for you. I forgot what he called it, but he had a name for it. Essentially laying down like what you've done in your life at his feet is not a physical crown. The crown in verse 11 refers to Christ coming back for us and removing us out of that hour of trial. Okay. So what this is saying here, it's a hopeful event. It's a hopeful event to be an overcomer. To be like, like those few people in the church in Sardis that were overcomers, that truly lived with loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus and not to people and not to worldliness, okay? So that, that was referring to a hopeful event for Christ to come take his, his um, church out of the hour of trial. We're on page 30 now, number four. I'm going through my questions with you, by the way, girls, tonight. I am going to go through most of these with you. And then on page 32, we're going to have some comment questions together. What is revealed here about the church at Laodicea? And what was its hearsay? Okay. 
So let's go to verse 14 and read this together. Verse 14 is on page 28. Verse 14 says, and to the angel of the church of the Lodicians, write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So what is revealed about them and what is their heresy? Verse 15, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. He's literally saying, I wish you would pick, pick, be cold or be hot. Don't be lukewarm. So then because you are lukewarm, verse 16, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is such strong imagery, just like the dirty, tepid water of Lodicia, the self-deceived uh, hypocrites sickened Christ. So I didn't go into this with you, but basically in Lodicia, they had filthy, dirty, awful water, and they had to have these big reservoirs made underneath the city, right? And it smelled, it was nasty water, okay? So he literally said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. They sickened Christ, hypocrites lukewarm hypocrites okay verse 17 you're going to find your answer here in these verses verse 17 because you say i am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing listen because i am rich because i am wealthy and because i have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked i counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve. What a lot of people don't know either is in Lodicia, they actually were known for their medical advancements, their medical advancements, and particularly their eye salves. They were known for eye salves that they would make, okay? So what is revealed here? Well, what was their heresy? Wealth money because they thought they didn't need anything because they had everything because they were a wealthy city wealth and they were lukewarm that's another one they were looking to wealth for their security not jesus and they were lukewarm hypocrites professing to know christ but not truly belonging to him okay Now, I want to read this to you girls. Turn back to page 28. I really love this passage in verse 14 when it says, and to the angel of the church of the Lodicians write, these things says the amen. I love that. Says the amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So the amen, it was a common biblical expression signifying certainty and veracity. According to 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. That is, all God's promises and unconventional covenant, unconditional covenants are guaranteed and affirmed by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Name above all names. That is why when you get specific, everybody loves God until you start to define him. When you call and say the name of Jesus, I am to the point now where I literally say, I love Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus because that is the name that saves God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But nobody wants to, nobody, people will get very funny when you start sharing 
Jesus. All of these letters, all of these letters in John, both last week to the four churches and this week to the three, have calls to repentance, have calls to turn. I want to read something else about the amen. Essentially, what, what this means, Isaiah 65, 16, is it means the God of truth. The God of truth. You see, they, the, again, that's why I told you they were worshiping they were worshiping idols and they were worshiping false doctrine. This, our God, Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords is the God of truth. The only way, the only way, the only way. That is why there's a, a, um, such a fervency right now, ladies, to share the hope that you have, to share Jesus, not to be ashamed. How does Jesus describe himself? Number five, page 30. How does Jesus describe himself in these messages? And what do these teach about him? He is the amen. We just went over that. This word declares something to be truthful. He is the truth. All of the false things, all of the false doctrine, all of the false ideologies, all of the false ways. He is the only truth, Jesus and only Jesus, the faithful and true witness the beginning of creation. He is the God of truth as opposed to deities and idols and all that garbage. And the churches back in that time were suffering from it. How much more are we suffering from this very same thing now? It's why we're doing the book of Revelation. It's literally why we're doing the book. Number six, what rewards were promised to those who overcome? He'll be granted the right to sit with Christ on his throne. Overcomers are true Christians who place their belief, their trust, and their faith in the one true God, the amen. The one true God. Give me one second. Okay. We're almost done with the questions and then I'm gonna give you guys some comment questions. And we're doing good on time. We'll wrap it up by about 8.10. Number seven, I'll list all of the ways this passage affirms that Jesus is just more than, uh, more than just a created being. The passage is actually the one that I read to you early, earlier, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, go to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, or if you have your book, that passage is at the bottom of page 30. List the ways that this passage affirms that Jesus is more than just a created being. He is the image of the invisible God. It comes right out in verse 15 and says, Jesus Christ is quite literally the visible image of the invisible God. Doesn't get any more clear than that. He is before all things and in, in him all things consist. Give me a second, ladies. Hold on. Give me a second. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Patience, patience is about you. Okay. Turn to John 1 1. Did not have that in my notes, but we're going there. We're going to read it together. Turn to John 1 1. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Here we go. John 1. Chapter one, verse one. 
in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. Verse four, in him was life and that life was the light, the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now, John 1, 1, write it down. Now let's go back to Colossians 1, 15. He is the, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and earth, the visible and the invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. When you are done with a study tonight, ladies, I, I really want you to do this. Please, please, please don't get distracted, do this. I want you to find a quiet place for five minutes. And I want you to go and pray. And I want you to really pray about the state of your spiritual health. I want you to pray about the state of your heart. I want you to pray about the fact that you've been getting lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just somewhere in the middle trying to keep everyone happy. Pray to the Lord about that because there is absolute power, power in prayer. And everything it says here, all things have been created through him and for him. We were made for God. One of the biggest things I see my Christian ladies struggle with is what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? You were made for God. That is your purpose. And when it, when it sinks down deep, I'm so going off. It's okay. When it sinks down deep, like when I really, really realized that, oh my goodness, we were made for God. That means everything I do, every word I speak, every word I teach, everywhere I go, every interaction I have, whether it's buying vegetables at Whole Foods or it's going to pump gas, everything, everything, everything. We were made for God. We were made to bring glory and honor to him. And ladies, it is the most serious calling on your life. The most serious. It changes the way your marriages, as you realize this, it changes your marriage, it changes your home, it changes the way you raise your children, it changes what you allow your children to stand in agreement with or not stand in agreement with, it changes everything, it permeates and it saturates, because God is the one that does the work. See, there's no formula, you don't ever look at anybody and think, well, they have it all, they have it all. If you saw my life and half the stuff I've lived through was a hot mess, hot mess expressed, and I'm not even kidding. But Jesus, but Jesus, he does the work. You just come before him. Go to him tonight in prayer. Go to him in prayer. Five minutes, 10 minutes. You may be in that closet for an hour. I don't care. But go to him in prayer and pray about the state of your heart and pray about how you're living. Pray about what you're doing. Pray about how you're doing it. Pray about, Lord, you know, am I ready? If you call me, am I ready? Pray about your mission field. Pray about where he has you. Don't be a lukewarm Christian. I'm done preaching. Number eight, why is Jesus worthy to be the head of the church? Let's go to verses 19 and 20. Why is Jesus worthy? Page 28, verse 19 and 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, be on guard, be zealous, be ready and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. And then let's read verse 18. Hold on. Wait a second. Am I reading the wrong? Yes, I'm reading the wrong. Oh, my goodness gracious. See what happens when I go. Sorry, wrong verse. Let's start over. Verse 19. For it please, I told you I'm a hot mess. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, not some things, all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Verse 18 says, and he's the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence means surpassing all others. Preeminence means superiority, that he may have superiority, okay? That's why, that's why having made peace through the blood of his cross. Number nine. Daniel 12.1, what was the meaning of the phrase book of life? Ladies, this is also known as the Lamb's book of life because it contains the names of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It contains the names of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to John chapter 14. We're almost done. Actually, this is our last question. I'm going to give you a few comment questions and we'll be done. You guys are doing good. John 14, I like seeing you flip back and forth. I like seeing you stay awake for the whole hour. That always makes me happy. John 14, one through three. We're gonna read it from the word of God. Do, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would not have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I, go, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that, you, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going, the way to the Father. Ladies, it says, what promises did Christ give his followers concerning the time of tribulation and wrath to come? And literally in John 14, one through three, he is going to prepare a place for us. He is gonna come again. He is gonna receive us to himself that where he is, we may be also. But ladies, we have to start living our lives so differently, so differently. We have, to, we have to live with an awareness moment by moment that we were made for God and that, that means it's gotta change everything we do. It's gotta change what our priorities are. All of a sudden our schedules change, things change. Maybe, maybe listen, maybe it's you not getting enough time with your family. Maybe it's you not having enough time with your children. True time, true time to sit down and share the message of Jesus. Do that, make that time. Because there's no amount of time spent on a ball field. There's no amount of time spent in a dance studio. There's no amount of time spent doing all the fun things that will ever, 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 ever make up for the time you have with your family to literally share Jesus and to talk about the things of Jesus. Think about where you are in your church. Think about your church. Think about your church home. Think about the things that John addressed, the spiritual depravity. Are you in a place that's rooted in these things? It may be time to go. It may be time to go. And that's not always easy, I'm sure. But it's got to it's got to happen because you serve one 
You serve the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Occasionally, it says under Truth For Today, page 31, occasionally I'm asked by young men seeking a pa uh, to pastor a church if I know of a church without any problems. And this is John MacArthur writing. My response to them is if I did, I, I wouldn't tell you. You'd go there and spoil it. The point is, is there are no perfect churches. Churches struggle because we're all imperfect people, all imperfect sinners, right? The church is not a place for people with no weaknesses. This is so important to understand. This is not a call to perfection. It's not about being in a place where everybody's, you know, that, that, that legalistic fake. That's not what this is about. It is fellowship of those who are aware of their weaknesses and long for the strength and grace of God to fill their lives. They're aware of their weaknesses. There's not a moment, there's not a day, literally, and not a moment of a day where I don't wake up and I'm not so aware of how short I fall. I feel the weight of it every day. And when I mess up and I have to repent and I have to turn, and I just think it's just like Paul, all the things I want to do, I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, I do. I feel that tugging every single day. It is people who long for the strength and the grace of God. It's a hospital for those who know that they are sick and they are needy. And ladies, ladies, I'm going to say this so lovingly. It was not in my notes. The church, we are to be the salt and the light in this world. But the church, please listen. The church is for the believers to get strengthened, to go out in this world and to effectively disciple and witness. If you're living in a church that's trying to manipulate and make everything cool and, 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 and manipulate all the things to win the world, the church is not to win the world. The church is for you to go and be strengthened in God's word and to know God's word and to have truth spoken from the pulpit so that when you go out into the world, you can effectively witness and bring people to Jesus. But there are far too many people who are getting popular in churches, popularity, celebrityism, pastoral, that, that whole thing is rampant and it's simple. And it's not right. And it's exactly what John was speaking to these churches about too. So ladies, uh, the comment questions for you tonight, what this is essentially is your opportunity to chat it out with each other, to get to know each other, um, to, to just share openly. Um, I'm gonna ask the questions. You can go back and answer after the live is done, that's okay. You can go and do so in Facebook in the group. The first comment question I want to ask you is on page 32. The church at Sardis had a reputation for being spiritually alive and vibrant, but in reality, it was dead. Remember the stars that are six trillion, I think, light years away, and a star can die five years ago, and we wouldn't know for 25 more years because the, the star is still shining, right? But really, it's dead. That's the church in Sardis. Can you think of any ways in which your spiritual reputation exceeds your true spiritual situation? Can you think of any ways in which your spiritual reputation exceeds your true spiritual situation? How is God calling you to change? You don't have to answer that live if you're not comfortable. That's a bold question, bold. But this is where I ask you to 
and me because I always get alone with the Lord to answer these things raw and real and truthful before the Lord. And if you know that you can't answer the way that you would desire to answer, he is a good God. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. Turn back, turn back to him and live rightly. And then number 13, next comment question. The church at Philadelphia was commended for keeping Christ's word and for persevering in the face of trouble and hardship. What qualities do you think Christ might affirm in your life? What do you think Christ would come into your life and say, I'm, I think that's really good. I'm really proud of you there. I, I really like that. And then last, as we close out, those are the two comment questions. I really hope I see y'all um, chat in some answers on Facebook. The last thing is we're all members of the body of Christ. We're, uh, we're all members in the body of Christ, whether it be the pinky, right? or the mouth, or the nose, whatever it is, as basic as that is, as basic as it is, and we're wrapping up, we have two minutes, I'm keeping you guys on time. Whatever your gifts are in the body of Christ, do not allow the enemy to keep you from using them. Look for the things that you enjoy. Look for the things, ladies, I kid you not when I say this, I had a rough life. I had a hard, hard, hard life. The first half of my life was brutally hard. It was very, very hard, very. And all of the things that I was told were wrong with me, that were awful, that, that were my weaknesses, uh, every single one are the things that Jesus is using today, okay? What is it that makes you excited? I got, and, and I'm gonna share this story. I told my husband when I came home from church on Sunday, I got to meet a precious, precious little girl, and I'm going to keep it very anonymous. <laughs> I got to meet a precious little girl who told me that she was taking notes through our Bible study, and I asked her how old she was, and she was nine, this nine-year-old precious little girl, and I remember being eight and nine. And I was, it was the most uncertain time. I was taken from my mom. I was living in and out of foster care. I had it, it was hard. And I remember journaling and writing and taking notes at that little age, like crazy. And I was, I was figuring out um, all the things that were weighing on my little girl heart. I was journaling them out. I still have journals to this day. But then it was all those things that I was told in the coming years, they were bad. I talked too much. I couldn't sit still. All of these things that were bad that actually the Lord used. He has so intricately gifted you and wired you. But whatever you do, however you do it, and I'm going to be quiet, I promise. Whatever you do and however you do it, let it all be to the glory and to the honor and to the praise of Jesus. There are a lot of very, very heathen-like ways to make a lot of money in this world. Don't stand in agreement with worldliness. Don't do things the way the world does them. Don't sacrifice your soul to make a buck. Let everything that you do, every word that you speak, every gift that you use, every way that you serve be to the glory and to the honor of God because we were made for him. And there is no higher purpose in our life than to serve Jesus Christ. So Lord, I just come before you and I thank you for what you're doing here at this ministry. 
I thank you, Lord, for helping me to get through this study, which is deeper, Heavenly Father. And I just thank you for how you make you make things that seem so daunting sometimes so doable. I'm so grateful, Heavenly Father, for all of these women that make you their priority, truly growing in your word, truly learning the, the Bible and, and what it is you did for us and learning the Holy Scriptures and not learning somebody else's rendition of the scriptures, but learning them. Uh, learning the scriptures themselves, Heavenly Father. I pray that all of the areas that we spoke about tonight that may have been convicting, that you meet her in that place as she goes off to her private place after this study to pray, to really do a heart check, Heavenly Father. And I'm going to do the same thing, to check our hearts, Lord, to turn in repentance, Lord. I thank you that there's breath in our lungs and that right now we have the opportunity to turn and to live rightly and to bring glory and to bring honor and to bring praise to you and all we say all we do and all we think. It's in Jesus' beautiful and precious and holy name I pray. Amen.